Coming up, Adam dreams in darkness. We talk Prussian history. Sage consults mystic Twitter. And another question, what is Kriegspiel? So I've been wanting to talk about Kriegspiel forever. Yeah, I was going to say, this This is a topic <laughs> that you've probably been looking forward to for a long time. Oh, it's so, it's so crazy. Because, you know, part of it is... Part of it is just kind of the history of, of the hobby, but also I really like war games and historical games and that kind of stuff, and Kriegspiel is right out of history. So, And I like that we're taking a bit of a digression. Like mm-hmm. A part of our uh, concept with this podcast has always been that it's mostly about role-playing games, but that's adjacent to a lot of interesting things, and I think this is the first time we've been this specifically adjacent to role-playing. Yeah, I, I mean... Definitely adjacent, because these totally turned into role-playing games. Yeah, yeah. It's a very uh, kind of thin line, actually, on on where you draw the line between some of the more immersive Kriegspiel and some of the uh, some role-playing games, especially depending on the format of the game. Um, oh, yeah. So my my first that I want to go into right away is, is where it started with the Prussian Kriegspiels in 1812. So... This is, the Prussians just got destroyed by Napoleon, uh, and we're not happy about this entire thing, and they're like, how can we possibly get better at doing this, and maybe we should, maybe we should do it more often uh, without having to actually kill everybody. So, in 1812, they had a set of rules, what was it, Moltke, I think, uh, wrote down the first set of rules, and they were very much, they were very board gaming at the time. It was still GM'd, uh, Kriegspiel is kind of... We, we should probably talk about what the heck this thing is. So, I, I thought that's where you were leading I, to. I with. Think, yeah, so I'm going to try and try and work that in here. Here, So a lot of the stuff that is important about Kriegspiel is that it needs to be um, competitive between you know multiple groups. It needs to be GM'd, as in there's one person who knows the situation and they're doling out small pieces of the situation to the other groups. Um, and... Yeah, so the fog of war is really important. And I think besides that, I mean, there's a couple of other things that are really common, like simultaneous orders are really common. Uh, it's really common that you'd have limited communication between groups, and you pretty much always have, like, a super well-defined objective. So you you end up with these Kriegspiel where it's not, okay, let's pretend to be, you know, this general for a while, and you can p- come up with whatever objective you want. It's... The orders came down from on high. You need to take this city. Go do it however you want to do it. Um, I think the however you want to do it is a really important point to emphasize. Uh, it, along with the fog of war, um, the the idea that your orders uh, can be essentially any order that you want to give uh, mm-hmm. is, is really important. And that's where the adjudicated nature comes in because uh, unlike a kind of a more board gamey approach, um, which you're right, a lot of the early ones, the rules overlap a lot with board games, and they're, uh, I think, over time, developed more of the arbitrated nature of it. Um, yes, for the for the Prussians, actually, 1876, there was a free Kriegspiel release. And so, so the difference is, you have strict Kriegspiel, which is very board gamey, here are the things you can do, and free Kriegspiel, which is, well, we're going to assume the GM knows enough about this situation that they can make good decisions about what happens, and we're going to reduce the set of rules and the set of constraints on you. But so yeah, there's there's a there's a very hard delineation there where somebody in 1876 said, you know, screw this rule book, I know what should happen here anyways, right? Yeah, and that's a really interesting point because it opens up the the domain of orders dramatically. Now your order, you can do weird things uh, that make for for classic historical stories, you know, everybody, we, we put mirrors on our shields and reflect the sun back at them so they can't charge at dawn or whatever. Like, the, the weird stuff that, uh, it, there's no point in having a rule for that in the rule book, uh, but once you, you get into that situation and are, are treating it as an actual situation, uh, it's, it's completely open. I love it. The original fiction-driven kind of insanity. But so the, the Prussians had like actual generals running these games. And so uh, the way this would tend to work is the general would have a big map and kind of representations of the forces sitting out on the map. And they would have multiple rooms with the other army leaders uh, that did not have the entire vision of the map. They would only have what they could see at the time, and they would get scouting reports from the general in the middle every so often. And they could send back orders 
but they wouldn't know really what happened until something came back and said, oh yeah, I came from that force that you sent over the hill and uh, they're not there anymore. Um, which is a really weird way to play a game. Uh, you can do it today. Like People play, people play lots of games Kriegspiel style today uh, when you get into the weird wargaming hobby. But not, not very often on these completely free map. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the Prussians, Prussians were where it all started, as far as I could tell. Like uh, Sage and I have talked about kind of alternate history of RPGs before, and with all the stuff on Twitter coming out about uh, Victorian parlor games, yep, it's really curious. You know, looking for where are the other places that people have done things like this. Well, and it's interesting because Kriegspiel eventually developed through a phase of kind of parlor games where, uh, especially for naval battles mm -hmm. uh, or little wars, right. um, you, you would, uh, depending on who you're talking to, they were either aimed at kids or not, but they, you, in some cases, would get model ships and clear out a room of your house, have all your friends over, and basically give them orders and sail around. And there, it starts to go a little more war game there. There's a little less of the, I come up with a crazy plan and just describe fictionally what I tell people to do. But it's still this kind of um, broad, open command structure. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's an interesting setup. And it's super analog. Like, yeah. There aren't very many war games now that are very analog. I've got... Uh, a game about the market garden coming today, and it's you know it's all hexes, and here are your restrictions for movement points and exactly how far you can move, and mm -hmm. you know down to the point where there's this big argument, well not an argument, there's this big discussion going on on the on the boards about uh, what the order of battle, what what units should be represented in the game. And they want to be very specific. You know, this particular company was here, and this particular company was in transition, so we don't know if they were there, so how do we decide whether to include their counter or not? Yeah. Um, but also things like, well, I just rolled artillery into this counter, or we just did this. Because you don't have this kind of fluid analog, well, they're not quite at the river, well, there's not quite a full group of people mm -hmm. uh, that you can in, in full free creature. Yeah, the... the amazing part of Free Kriegspiel is uh, how adaptable it is to multiple situations, which kind of leads into my first point. Mm -hmm. um, Kriegspiel, I'm actually going to claim that it's a way of GMing. It's maybe even kind of part of the way of GMing. Um, if, you're, if you're running a role-playing game and you're not leaning on some of the techniques that a, a judge in a Free Kriegspiel would be using, mm -hmm. um, you're not hitting some of the points that generally make RPGs stand out as a distinct thing. If you're not um, using your judgment to decide likely fictional outcomes, if you're uh, restricting player options to only certain things, you know, you can't say, I walk over there because there's no rule for walking over there. Um, the If you're not judging and interpreting the fiction, basically, to, to use kind of our, our current RPG terminology for it, um, you're not probably in the RPG domain. Like, it's really hard to nail down what's a role-playing game and what's not. But uh, some of the things that I think resonate with people that make these things stand out is, is fictional choices and those being um, interpreted. And there's there's certainly uh, a point here in, in both Free Creek Spiel and role-playing games where that interpretation can fall down to a very limited set of abstractions. So if you look at a, um, a role-playing game like My Life with Master, mm -hmm. uh, like, it's in a lot of ways um, still very constrained. There, there are everything that uh, you do is going to boil down to one of a few types of things. Um, and there, there's a very certain setup. But within those, there's a lot of room for uh, you to say and do whatever you want and then that to get interpreted. And it, it's interpreted into a fairly small set of abstractions. There's only sure. a few potential dice rolls and a few things that can modify them, but uh, there's still this important interaction, open-ended interaction and judgment call, which I think are some of the key things that make Kriegspiel um, both an interesting military teaching tool and uh, a really kind of attractive way of playing war games. I mean, both you and I are, are super into this idea. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's part of what makes it so interesting. We, we play a lot of... Uh, more constrained war games or kind of strategic games um, that are, are wonderful. 
but it's always uh, there's always this trade-off of how obvious the abstractions are to you and how much that puts you in the position of being able to to make choices um, kind of hands-on to the fiction like the in a game like uh, a distant plane you you can't fundamentally change some of the constraints of how things like combat work or um, you you can't really go to the negotiating table in a completely open-ended way um, it, it the a distant plane is uh, the U.S. involvement in Afghanistan, um, depending on which scenario you play, either kind of from the Bush years or from later on, um, and it's a wonderful game. It is one of my favorite games ever, and it has a lot of player interaction, a lot of negotiation, but that negotiation only can go so far. You can't kind of sit down and entirely convince, uh, say, the warlords that they, they don't care about poppies anymore. You can't, like recreate the economy of the country. Um, On the other end, you can't decide that you're just going to nuke Afghanistan. Yeah, you can't do that either. Like, like things, you are heavily constrained to be a counterinsurgent force. Um, which makes for a great game, but right. it, as a Kriegspiel, it would be interesting to see that same thing play out. Um, but you need that GM, because it is a way of GMing, you need a GM who can interpret, honestly respond to, and uh, do an effective job of coordinating all these things. Because if you don't have a, a GM who can do that, then something like, oh, I convinced the, the Taliban that they actually should just chill. Like, if you can't... Just roll that 150 perform check. Uh, yeah, the 150 perform check, speaking of our last episode. <laughs> uh, but the if the GM can't put reasonable constraints on why somebody might not... Uh, like, why the player representing whatever representative of the Taliban can't do that, uh, it becomes a really simple game because you're like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll chill out. Uh, I guess I don't really care about anything. Like that, That's really easy to say when you're just a player, and it requires that GM um, involvement and interpretation to set up a situation where you, you as the player know all the forces playing on you so that you... So it doesn't just kind of devolve into like, oh, okay, I guess we solved Afghanistan. I think that's, you know, the, the point about it being going in and out of kind of game territory is a really interesting one. So uh, on our Slack, we've had a big, long discussion about whether war games, whether war games can really be nicely balanced, mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of, you know, there's this big campaign for North Africa thing that showed up uh, just in general on social media about how this enormously long game is a thing and probably is horribly unbalanced and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well... You know, there's there's a whole section of the uh, historical gaming community that's not that interested in balance. Like, they care way more about, is the order of battle properly represented? What would happen in World War II if the Germans didn't do this thing? What would happen mm -hmm. in World War I if they weren't restricted by that plan and all this kind of stuff? And if at the end... You know, you just get totally wiped out because the Germans were just way more powerful that way... That's still okay to that kind of gamer because you just want to see the, the alternate story. Yeah. And I think one thing that we've kind of lost as we move away uh, from the Kriegspiel stuff and more towards this kind of very digital, uh, you are exactly in this hex because it's very important for the rules that you are in this location, uh, is that you don't want to trust an arbitrary decision maker to make a balanced decision on the fly. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you have you have this problem with uh, role-playing games when you come up with player versus player rules. Yeah. Like, any time that two people are fighting and the DM has to choose who's going to win for whatever adjudication reason, or some kind of, uh, the GM's going to choose the DC for you to kill the other person, like... Anytime you end up in that situation, people get a little upset about, well, that's not entirely fair, the GM likes that person better than me, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you have these old Kriegspiel where, you know, the general in the middle is like, oh, yeah, they never saw you and just got totally wiped out. But, I mean, they're your general, so what are you going to do about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting way of playing, and I think the, or sorry, way of GMing, because that's my point right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it 
it ties into, again, kind of looking at uh, modern RPG interpretations, um, there's a point in Apocalypse World where the GM is instructed to say what honesty demands. Mm-hmm. They're, they're supposed to honestly portray the the fictional world. Um, and that is kind of the, the heart and soul of the um, Kriegspiel adjudicator, judge, whatever yeah. the title is. Um, and I think it really shows through in how game how games are, are GM'd. Yeah, you talk about how even in my life with Master, you kind of drop everything down to one of a couple of different resolution methods. A lot of these really old Kriegspiels are you have a single D6. Mm-hmm. You, If you want to make any kind of probability decision, like you're like, well, I don't know which one of these two things happens, you just assign a probability and roll. Yeah. And that's the only resolution method. It is you decide or you roll... You know, say yes or roll the dice entirely, right? Yep. It's just crazy. What's your number two? Uh, It's uh, related to that one. Um, I think Kriegspiel is also a way of playing. And I think Mm -hmm. this gets undersold sometimes. But um, an interesting thing with with many of these Kriegspiels is that um, the the way the uh, players are involved in them is related to how, if this was a real-world situation, they would be involved in it. Mm -hmm. Um, So especially these early Kriegspiels, uh, it are from the perspective of a, a method of fighting where a commander would likely be behind and be getting reports from the front line and be, you know, ordering uh, troops this way and then would get the bad news that their flank broke and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the part of the, the genius of Kriegspiel is um, when a Kriegspiel puts the, the player in a position where their fictional role... Um, is to interact with a scenario in the way that they, as a like real life person, will be interacting with a scenario. Right. Um, like the LARP, the LARP concept, right? It, it's a bit like LARP. Yeah. Reduce that distance between you and your character. Yeah, and to create, a, to make your way of interacting with both the game and the world the same. Uh, so if you look at kind of a D and D mold role-playing game, a sit-at-the-table role-playing game, your way of interacting with the world is um, entirely through kind of like stating I or my character does this, this, and this. And then maybe there's some dice in there and the GM says what happens, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe move some miniatures around. Um, and in some cases, maybe those miniatures are even like on a super fancy map that really shows you what it looks like and everything. Uh, but for the most part, your method of interacting with the world is still um, very removed from how your your characters are interacting with the world. Um, and how different would D&D be if, uh, they, if your interaction with your character was um, an interaction that you could actually kind of play out? If uh, What if your character was just always casting consult mystic sages or whatever, and you were on the other end, or like consult spirits, whatever, whatever version of D&D has some spell where you sure. get advice from weird Guidance. mystic things? Uh, what if you were, you as the player, were just the thing at the other end of that, and your character, or maybe you got to still create them, but after that point, it's just the GM, like, I don't know, sending you instant messages or something and saying, uh, hey, I'm in front of this locked door and the other side is hot, um, what should I do? So you're going to do this, right? Uh, yes, I think I'm actually going to do this. Right before we came to record this, uh, which is significantly before it's released, I set up a new <laughs> Twitter account that is going to be uh, an adventure asking for help um, through the the magic of Consult Mystic Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to see how this works. Like, I'm kind of interested to know uh, what D&D looks like through that lens. Um, if, if you're not playing your character as much in the flesh and more as kind of the advisor role, which actually seems really common in some early play reports of D&D, mm-hmm. the kind of like uh, you you are almost ordering your character around as opposed to embodying them. Well, it came out of you know, it came out of this Napoleonic Kriegspiel. Exactly. Like, well, I'm just going to control one person. Yeah, I'm just going to control one person in a Kriegspiel and I'm still going to give them orders and so this is kind of that uh, giving orders to somebody um, and since this will come out sufficiently later that somebody will probably have already figured it out, I'm thinking about doing uh, a classic well-known adventure, probably Caves of Chaos, and seeing how long it takes people when just getting like snippets of information from an adventure in the midst of it to figure out what's actually going on. Twitter plays Caves of Chaos. Basically, through through the eyes of a single adventurer who's lost the rest of his party, so he's pretty much screwed. It's going um, to be a short game. It's going to be a short game. But I'm really curious to see what D&D looks like like this. Um, and I think that it's especially interesting because um, 
a part of why I say Kriegspiel is a way of playing is because Kriegspiel, free Kriegspiel, is about anything that's possible, and you your orders are whatever you can tell the person to do. Um, and I think the interesting thing about creating a, a role for you as a player that interacts with the character in a very defined way, in a kind of in-the-fiction way, is that it uh, steers you more towards giving um, kind of in-the-fiction, anything-is-possible orders, as opposed to, I advance five feet and swing my sword in a full attack or whatever. Like, you, you can't do that anymore. You can tell them, uh, fight the kobolds to the death, and then you hear back, uh, or you don't hear back. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm really curious how this will work, but I think it's an important thing to remember. And I, I almost wonder about introducing more new players to role-playing games in kind of this way. Um, I'm not a big fan of hiding mechanics in games because I think they're important and like players should understand these things. Um, but I do wonder about how it would create that... Uh, Engagement with the fiction, sure. basically, um, and I like it even more when it's through this conduit. I don't really like the like make a dun- people have done the uh, make a dungeon world character or tell me what kind of dungeon world character you want to play, and then I'm not going to show you the character sheet. You're just going to say what you do, and I'll trigger moves and everything. I, I don't love that. Like if you're going to be entirely in the character, then you should know how some of these things work. Whereas if you're the like voice in their ear, now you don't have to know how things work. Well, so, okay, so okay. let me talk about Flight of the Eagle. Okay. Uh, Le Vol de Lega. It's a uh, 2005, like, modern, real, free Kriegspiel, Napoleonic era uh, by this French guy whose name I am not going to attempt to pronounce because I've already butchered his game's name. Um, but it's, it's for an umpire, and, you know, he says infinite number of players, but as you go up past about six-ish, according to people I've talked to, it becomes more and more of a pain to actually manage everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but so in this, it, it is like you say. You don't know very much about what orders you could give or how they would be adjudicated. You just are given, here's your leaders, and you can send them stuff that you want them to do, and here are your forces, and you can send them stuff, and here is the map, which is based on a period map of the time, mm-hmm. Uh and, and that's it. Go for it. And a huge section of the rulebook is devoted to, hey, umpire, the DM, you are the only person who really understands how all of these rules are going to affect play, so you need to help the players understand the doctrine and help the players understand how these armies would move around and mm-hmm. why they would do that kind of thing and what actually makes sense. Because if you don't know, if you don't have scaffolding to support oh, yeah, I need to head to this town so I can keep my supply lines fixed, you're going to miss something that would have been totally obvious to an actual general of the time, right? Yeah, and I think you're getting at something that's true both as um, Kriegspiel's way of playing and, and part of what Kriegspiel works, like the, the defined goals that you mentioned earlier. Like mm-hmm. these choices are generally made with um, kind of a clear direction. Uh, so while it is a anything is possible, you also... Uh, there's there's no reason if you're engaging with the game um, in a, a meaningful way to like write an order of like sit down and have lunch mm-hmm. tell me what you ate like th- if you want to grief the game sure but the the game is defined such that uh, you're not going to have that kind of completely meaningless interaction mm-hmm. um, you have a defined direction and you have a set of here are really common things that you might do to get towards that direction. You are not limited to these things, but here's here's the way that most people of this you know era would approach mm-hmm. this objective, right? Yep. Um, so what's your second point? That is my second point. Okay. The, this this fly to the eagles type of thing. So uh, there's there's just a ton to talk about about this game because it came out in 2005, totally played totally by a designer who had never played kind of a modern style RPG. So they, there's a lot of discussion in there about how, yeah, you know, you're going to be kind of like a DM, but you're not going to do any of the stuff that those DMs do. You're going to do these things, and it reads a whole lot like Apocalypse World. Like, <laughs> one of them is, oh, yeah, when this thing happens, roll 2d6, and at a 5 minus, this happens, and at a 6 <laughs> to 9, this happens. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? 
just just crazy crazy to see kind of those worlds intersect right mm -hmm. um, but there's a ton of stuff in there that's you know here's some here's some things that could potentially happen you know but your main job as the umpire is kind of to you know make sure you tell the truth about what's going on and make sure that you plot all those orders and if if two people are interacting then you know send them send them the message and start the engagement and if they're not interacting we'll just skip ahead because we don't need to we can cut through all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and it's like dm advice it's it's just it's just a crazy thing to read because it's all coming from the perspective of something that's you know that's written from a wargamer perspective and yeah. not from a role-playing game perspective. Yeah, it's really interesting. When you try to design the same thing but with a different um, background, with a different perspective, uh, you get something significantly different. And it's... It's, it's pretty insane. So I, so I want to play this thing um, at some point. So if you, if you want to play this or the next game that I'm going to be talking about, uh, please contact me very loudly and I will get you involved. Because one of the great things about running these games is that... It's the same kind of thing as running a really good uh, role-playing game, where as the GM, you get to see all the crazy things that people come up with. Um, and one of the better things about Kriegspiel is that everybody's coming up with it entirely independently. Mm -hmm. So if you're at a table and you're talking about stuff, you can bounce things off of each other, but the table will often form a consensus, and it's really hard to get uh, quieter people to join that consensus or, or push it away from the, from the middle. But in a Kriegspiel where, you know, Joe isn't talking to Alice at all about their two orders, you end up with really insane things happening. Well, and there's the the opportunity. Um, one of the, the magical things in role playing games is that stuff that to the GM can seem boring and straightforward to the players because you only have partial knowledge can seem incredibly interesting. The number of times I've seen players like focus on some element of a dungeon that like I thought wasn't a big deal or, or turn what seems like an easy task mm -hmm. into this huge involved thing is amazing. And the number of times I as a player have played an adventure and thought like, oh man, that was, I was so involved in it. It was really interesting and complex. And then looked at like the map and description of the adventure and like it's a few rooms. Saw, like, nothing, yeah, yeah they, they, it seems super boring when you have all the information, but then when you have partial information, it's really interesting and evolved. Um, and Kriegspiel kind of plays that up, like uh, especially when the um, adjudicator can present things to you in a way where the actual presentation is somewhat invite, uh, involving. Like when you you get the letter from your generals or whatever, like I regret to inform you that my flank has fallen. Like it. it and you know that it came, and that happened eight hours ago. Exactly. You you know that the runner just got here, and that this has actually happened, and they're now yeah. It, oh yeah. It, it's so great because that partial information uh, and the the isolation of it actually turns straightforward situations into to complex, engaging ones. Yeah. So there's there's rules in Flight of the Eagle about. So first, you basically have to send messengers to do almost anything. Uh, we're Kriegspieling a pub battles game, which is, it's only five turns, and a message takes about a turn to get to somebody. So people basically have stopped sending messages because you know enough that you can do your local stuff, and grand sweeping orders don't make too much sense because by the time they get to you and the, by the time you do it, it will be a totally different situation. So, but in, but in the Napoleonic game, like... You get, you get your time at the beginning to discuss the overall plans. Because again, this is probably two teams, the French team and the somebody else team, and you're going to come up with the overall strategic plan at the start where you can all still talk to each other. And then you immediately split up and immediately the plan falls apart because something happened that nobody thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And you took too long going over the mountains or, you know, oh, here's a bridge that we thought was going to be there and isn't there anymore. Or even uh, from my experience as one of the players in the pub battles game, things like uh, all of a sudden enemies fall back when you didn't think they were going to. And you're like, well, are they... Are they planning something? Uh, <laughs> like, should I pursue? Well, I can't send a runner and hear back in, like, two turns right. at the minimum. Uh, so you just kind of have to make, like, a call and hope that your call lines up with what everybody else is doing according to your grand strategic plan. Um, yeah, it, it's been really interesting. And I, that Pub Battles game has pointed out to me a lot of the things about Kriegspiel and, like, the, the clarity and importance of communication coming in um, kind of a good format and in a way that 
Uh, I think it's really important that it's presented to the player such that they have a pretty solid picture and a pretty solid idea of what kinds of orders they should be issuing. Like, Mm -hmm. who needs orders right now and how urgently do they need them, uh, kind (laughs) of. Um, And that actually leads into my third point. Oh, let me me do one more thing really quick. Keep going, keep going. Because, so one of the other crazy things that happens is, you know, these orders kind of fall apart, but you can send out new runners, right? Oh, you know, I I actually need way more help because I'm seeing more resistance here. Well, okay, it's going to take about eight hours for that runner to get there. Uh, And if there's anybody in the middle, they could intercept it. Mm -hmm. And if they intercept it, they will get all of the entire order exactly as you wrote it. Here you go. And then there's a group on an after-action report I was reading where they got one of those early messages that was a huge strategic plan because the... the person sending it was sending out copies of the whole strategic plan, like not oh, no. not minimizing it, just the whole thing. Because they were like, whatever, how could it possibly go wrong? And the opponents got a hand on the whole plan, and they thought that it was too lucky and that they were being tricked by the other team. And they didn't they didn't realize until way later in the game. They're like, everything's matching up with this plan that we got. Uh-huh. Like, oh, so you could get intercepted or your runner could just get lost. Yeah. You sent your runner and you're like, okay, they'll be here any minute. Okay, at dawn on the third day and we're watching for the cavalry. Well, they never got your message. So, mm-hmm. uh, sorry guys. Yeah, there, there's so many opportunities for things to, to go awesomely or horribly right so, or wrong. So um, and it actually lines up with uh, a game that we played, um, Subterfuge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a uh, mobile game uh, it's played in real time. Um, everybody starts out with a few, um, I think they're supposed to be islands, but they're kind of like planets, whatever. A few strategic locations that generate resources. Um, and you can give them orders, you know, build a sub, build, you know, uh, there's specialists and stuff. Um, and then you can send off the units that you have towards other places. And if you have enough in just like a straight up comparison of strength to take the place, you take it. Um, the thing is, all of these travel times and build times and everything are happening in real time, and you can only see a certain distance from all of your units. So you know your opponents are out there, you have chat with them, so you can you can be telling them, like, uh, diplomacy style, you know, okay, let's agree on our border here, and then uh, we'll be safe and we can focus on our other sides, but then you have to wonder if they're actually doing that, and so you need somebody there to see, and then um, all these orders are also cancelable and modifiable in real time. So a lot of the the strategies that'll really mess with people are things like sending a sub, uh, a super powerful sub at them, because you can see exactly where it's heading, Mm -hmm. and then giving yourself, because you can't program in these orders um, for the most part, uh, and then like waking up at 2am or something and diverting it at the last minute towards a different place that's close enough that they won't respond by the time that they wake up, or things like this. Um, And it it leads into that entire, uh, the the time that things take to get there. In Kriegspiel, this can be like somewhat abstracted. That eight-hour running time doesn't have to be eight hours of real time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's amazing that once you introduce the, those timing issues, um, how much emergent behavior it creates. Oh, yeah. Super good. So, number three. Go for it. Oh, so, number three. Uh, something that I already kind of alluded to. Um, Kriegspiel is, is at the heart of RPGs. Like, the... the um, I think Kriegspiel basically, as a gameplay mechanism, invented the um, describe, decide, describe kind of loop, uh, which is really the key to RPGs. They're like, this is your situation, what do you do? Okay, this is what happens. And that is implicitly describing your new situation, and then you say, what do you do again? And that is Kriegspiel. Especially in the kind of like runner ones, where or uh, some of the other ones that we may talk about in a minute, where you're getting some kind of reports that can be relatively in character, and so like you you've got this uh, you know your general writing to you saying uh, we're making great progress, resistance is less than expected, um, and then you write back to them in whatever way you want. Like that is, in a lot of ways, the the heart of role playing games, mm-hmm. um, and. There's the literal historic linkage that uh, Dungeons and Dragons basically came out of um, war games that were modeled on Kriegspiel and were were coming back to the idea of adjudication, uh, with the probably the major twist that turns it into a role playing game being the direct control of one or more characters, as opposed to being a general who's kind of 
sending out messages to armies, you're now saying, okay, uh, you know, Newt the thief goes over here and does this. Um, yeah, so it, it's interesting to me to view Kriegspiel as uh, a great way to develop RPG skills and a great way to think about RPGs. Um, like, if, if you're the kind of person who's really into role-playing games and wants to um, think more about how they're designed or just wants to get better at running and playing them, I think a Kriegspiel is actually a great way to expand your horizons in a way that really effectively improves your skills at role-playing games. Um, and it's interesting because the the other kind of twist from Kriegspiel is uh, that generally everybody in a role-playing game is more or less on the same side. Like maybe there's some player versus player stuff, but kind of the, the earliest model is you're going on an adventure. You're, you're going to claim this goal from this location, um, and you're all on the same side of that, which means that then the GM, uh, we talked earlier about kind of the arbitration and judging and stuff, but now you're also the opposition. Right. Um, which I think is actually a really important reason for uh, the idea of adventures as like written out things, because that's how you as the GM can be more of the adjudicator style because these things are already committed. Right. Um, and, and that applies to more improvisational games too. You just have to be taking careful enough mental or, or physical notes that the things that you establish are still the same. Mm-hmm. Um, because even in you know those written out adventures, you're having to make judgment calls based on things that aren't explicitly written out. But you want to feel as neutral as possible. You want to feel as neutral as possible, and you want to be as consistent as possible. Yeah. And like in a lot of ways, I think the, the written out adventures are just the same thing that you can generate on the fly, but already written out for you. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my third thing. Kriegspiel is is the heart of role playing games. Like it it's how you get from from there to here, from chess to D and D, basically. So, I want to talk about dreams and darkness. Okay. Uh, which is which is another reason that we've been wanting to talk about this this entire topic all over the place. Which is my kind of <clears throat> crazy RPG Kriegspiel tarot deck resolution. Uh, just madness. So one of the things that makes Flight of the Eagle so hard to, to umpire is that, okay, first you are dispatching all of the messages from all of the groups to all of the other groups. Uh, second, you have to keep track of the whole map and everything that everybody is doing and manage all of the combats. Like, there's just a million things that you have to take care of. And I don't, I don't want to do combat that is... Uh, okay, let's get you two into this room and play this little mini war game uh, with a whole bunch of dice rolling. Like that's that's just that's just not super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one, a bunch of the reports that I'm reading are because of the amount of randomness that can happen uh, when two groups meet. You can make a really tactically genius decision, and then the dice don't go your way, and everything falls apart. Which is arguably a feature in uh, some ways. Well, the problem is it makes it obscures what your decisions meant. Sure. Uh, because so I was also playing a game in Napoleonic Wars that was eleven hours long, but amazing. Uh, but in that game, the French could roll no wrong. I guess uh, they were rolling fives and sixes all the time, which is hits in that game and big dice pool game. And uh, their primary opponent, the English. Uh, because I was smarter than to get into a fight with the French, was rolling like ones and twos all the time. And Mm -hmm. so the English, coincidentally, lost. Uh, The French didn't win. I won because I wasn't rolling any dice. Uh, (laughs) But it it felt just weird. It was like, you go into combat, I have way more troops than you do, I should win this combat. Nope, I didn't. And there's there's no story there. Like, it's just... Life is bad for me because the dice didn't like me. Yeah, I... The I'm, rationale just isn't there, right? I'm torn on that because that's one of those situations where in a role-playing game, you, you port back in the rationale. Sure. Like, it, it, if you're rolling that way all the time, you, you, that's telling you something about the fiction. Um, but you can fictionally position in a role-playing game. And this yes. is where I'm going with Dreams and Darkness. So the, in, in a lot of these games, there's not much you can do to improve your situation. So you do as much as you can to make your situation as good as possible, and then you drop it all down to the dice and say, okay, I hope. Um, In Flight of the Eagles, it's also a dice pool type thing, but instead of uh, fives and sixes or hits, you add all of the dice you roll. Oh, wow. So you get, like, a result of 50, and that means this. This Mm -hmm. is how many casualties you did and stuff, which makes it all even out a little bit better, I think, than dice pool systems, um, because you just end up with much bigger numbers of everything, so the 
the the numbers work out better. Anyways, so the end of uh, what ends up happening in here is that the more that you can do to kind of affect your fictional position, the more control you feel you had over the outcome, and the less sad you are that something bad happened because the DM can go back into it and say oh, well, you lost because this and this and this and this and this, which made it really, really even, mm-hmm. and then the then the die didn't go your way. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, yeah, you were just destroying them in numbers and you had a much better position, but uh, none of that matters to the system, and the dice didn't go your way. Sure. I, th- I think the, the point being, like, the, you know, more fiction-heavy game it leaves so many more options for how to explain something like that. Whereas in a game where only certain things affect the dice, mm-hmm. uh, we can come, we can kind of backport in fiction, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't actually affect future roles. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can see your point there. And I, we've been in games before playing um, Here I Stand. Uh, I was the, the Catholics and kept on debating the Protestants and setting up these situations where I would use a whole bunch of I thought pretty clever play totally. to set up a debate where my best debater would be versus their worst debater with all kinds of advantages. And the, the goal being this is a, um, a, a roll a few dice uh, system, basically. Um, and if you win by enough in the theological debates, because there's also actual warfare going on at the same time, but with a, a theological debate, you can, uh, if you're the Catholics, you can end up burning the other side at the stake, because you just so destroy their point that everybody agrees, like, yeah, okay, they're heretics, let's go burn them. Um, I was never able to do that, despite setting up these amazing uh, situations where, like, I would load up a fistful of dice versus, like, who for the Protestant player, and it would come out to be a tie. God, um, God was certainly on the Protestant side. Yeah. That, that was completely insane. So yeah, when that kind of thing happens, like I can, I can understand the the your argument kind of for how that's a little dissatisfying. But at the same time, like I was on the losing side of that, and I still kind of enjoyed it. The like you enjoyed the narrative, right? Yeah. Okay, I enjoyed the narrative. Like, and, and, I, it, and it meant that I kind of dropped out of the game by a certain point. Yeah, and and what so. So in dreams, kind of the the initial setup was I figured I would just adjudicate everything. Yeah. Like whatever I you know you go here they go here. This is what happens. I'm gonna just tell you. Uh, maybe I'll draw a tarot card to help me come up with really interesting fiction about it. But when as soon as you get to the point where I have to decide who wins and who loses in a fight, if I don't have a very strong. Uh, here, here is why this happened, and here is why you won, and the rules restricted me, and that, that was the only thing I was allowed to do. Oh, it just doesn't feel very fair. Mm-hmm. But if there's no randomness affecting that outcome, quite a lot of the times it's like, well, you know what's going to happen because you have all of the useful information, and unless somebody immediately goes there and tries to stop you, well, you know, you can't possibly fail. And so you have to have some kind of randomizer but I don't. F- I feel like the weight of the randomizer doesn't have to be very big. No, and I think that the the amount of information that you have, like even if, like we were saying before, if you as the GM with all the information can say can see what's coming a long ways out and say, okay, these two forces are going to meet here and the victor is clear. To the players, unless they've managed to somehow both get that information, sure. One or both of them won't know that. Right. So before we go any further about Dreams and Darkness, I want to step back and give the pitch for this game because I think the pitch <laughs> is is a very compelling way to get people um, interested in Kriegspiel. Sure, I'm just super excited about the design. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so th- this was kind of my contribution. I, I took uh, some of the things that Adam had been doing and. and added some fiction to them that uh, got me pretty excited about it. So um, Adam started out with this idea of kind of like battle mages. Uh, you're, you're fighting over objectives and you're each mages. And I suggested like, let's take a step back from that. Um, and instead of you being a battle mage yourself, you are uh, like a, a eternal being, a kind of uh, elder thing of the universe at the far end of reality that's somehow connected to these wizards and you're, you're trying to get them to do your bidding, uh, or they will do your bidding, but you're trying to execute your agenda in the mortal realm through uh, ordering these people through their dreams to begin with. Um, since it's Kriegspiel, I love this idea, I, I haven't mentioned this to anybody but Adam, that a player could totally be like, okay, 
the first thing you do, Wizard, is find a way that we can contact each other more reliably and more directly. Um, but to start out with, the conceit of the game is like your uh, you have, I think it's still three wizards serving. The the start of the game is you end up with one cultist contacts oh, okay. you out of the blue, and that's the kind of motivating. Oh, nice. Moment. Okay, um, uh, but to begin with, they your your cultists by default have set up ways that they will contact you on some regular schedule. Maybe they like burn an offering at the apogee of the sun or whatever, um, or maybe uh, they one of them. So Sphere's cultist right now, he puts on this blinding sash. And they chant in a circle at dusk every yep. day. Yeah. So, and the cool thing being, because this is Kriegspiel, you can totally like the first time that you connect back to him, be like, you need to chant more often. Like, <laughs> I, I need to hear from you three times a day minimum. Um, but then, by default, the only way that you contact them is while they're asleep. Uh, so you get to speak to them in dreams, and uh, my suggestion, at least, we'll see where this ends up gameplay-wise, is that your your visions to them can be as uh, specific or as obscure as you like, um, with the kind of player-stated reasoning for doing either of these. If you give them an obscure order that just kind of like gives them a feeling of which direction to go in, the GM now is going to interpret more things through that character's knowledge of the situation, which will be very hands-on and in the moment. Uh, whereas if you give them something very specific, they will do that exact thing, and they will follow it letter of the law, basically. Um, so, like, you you probably don't want to give them a dream that is just, like, uh, 100-point Helvetica go to the tower, because they're just going to be like, I go to the tower and walk straight into an ambush or something. Um, <laughs> or starve on the way. Or like, starve on the way. Like, yeah, so, like, the there's... I like that we've come up with kind of uh, in-game reasons for you to, to be creating interesting fiction. Like, you probably send, like, if you want them to go to the tower, uh, I would probably send, like, this uh, a dream of, like, they they dream of the entire journey with, like, stops all, like, they, uh, in one night, they see the entire five-day journey or whatever, um, as opposed to, like, go to the tower and they just, like, wake up and, and zombie walk there. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it could be even more obscure. Like, it could just be a tower, and, like, I'm pretty sure I know which one they want to go to, but I'm willing to let them kind of, if they have another idea. Um, so, yeah, I love this idea that uh, you as a player get this sheet about what kind of, like, strange elder being you are, uh, and you get some idea of who your your cultist is, and then you just kind of start communicating with them. And by um, the thing that I found in our pub battles is that when, as a player, I wanted a, a clearer idea of exactly what I should be communicating and to who. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like this idea that, like, I know when I can communicate to them and what I can say, and and there's a real fictional setup for, for how and why we're communicating. Definitely. So that's, that's a lot of the rules that I've been writing in the modern versions are things like, well, if you were just dropped in this situation... How do you even know what you can do or mm-hmm. where you want to go in this kind of stuff? So I've got a lot of rules that I'm writing about. Oh, here are, here are your goals as an elder thing. You've yeah. got to, you know, destroy that tower or whatever. Um, but then also a whole bunch of things around. Here's a bunch of crazy stuff that will happen when you try to do that stuff that just keeps keeps everything ticking. And, and we've been designing this around the idea of playing uh over mostly chat style apps. Um, so there's a lot of interesting considerations, like the, we talked earlier about how cool delayed communication is, um, but how it can really break down, especially in a shorter game. So the idea actually being that um, you as the players, as these strange elder things are all like floating off in the bloody membranes of the universe and can communicate to each other really quickly. Uh, so the way that we are currently playing, you can contact all the other players whenever you care to and as often as you care to um, and just have back channel, basically. But you can only interact with the the mortal world where you're affecting your grand designs at certain times, which you then, because it's Kriegspiel, can attempt to modify. Um, which which, which also really nice for the, for the umpire because as the umpire, I can basically, instead of having this very strict, okay, it is exactly, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, which means I have to ask everybody for all of their orders instead of that I can just be like 
you know, full-on Apocalypse World-style initiative where, hey, this is really interesting and going on. Mm -hmm. uh, what happens here? Okay, this happens here, and then who's able to contact somebody first? Oh, this person. Okay, this person's going to find out what happened. The yeah. other person might not for a while unless they talk to him, but... Yeah, uh, and that's so great. I, I uh, and like the idea that contacting these elder things costs some some time. So you can't just say like every time you something interesting happens, contact me. Uh, like you have to think about well, how much do I want them to be able to get done versus? And then you could of course try and get two of your cultists together. So one of them is like the communicator, and one of them is doing stuff all the time. Uh, and you're basically forming like a radio squad to go along. Yeah, there's so many cool options. I love the the conceit and how it lines up with gameplay so much. And then the uh, some of the stuff you've messed with, with with tarot cards being an important part of it, plays into that feeling. Um, yeah, this is definitely the exciting stage of design where like I have all these ideas of, uh, because I'm more of like the in this case, more of the presentation person of like how this should look and how to present it to the players and things to tell them and what's important on like a, a one-pager sheet to tell them about how this game works. Um, Oh, there's just so much. Um, but so if you want to play that thing, uh, you know, here advertisement right here. If you want to play that thing, contact me on Twitter at HackerBlinks or at AQ Podcast because I get those things too. Uh, and I will roll you in and we will see how big of a game we can get of this. Oh, uh, Because that'd I be feel like it'll be much easier to run than a normal Creek Spiel because I don't have to do dispatching. Yeah. I can just contact people individually. So, but yeah, we'll figure that out. It'll be great. Which actually wraps around to one of my favorite things about Kriegspiel, asynchronous play. Yes! Uh, I, I didn't really mention that. We, we've kind of alluded to it so far, but mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge fan of games that I can check in on every once in a while. I'll admit that I'm not always the best on it. I've been one of the slower players on our current Kriegspiel for a number of other reasons. Uh, like, I have excuses, but yes. um, the, the cool thing for me, I, I love games that can take up 15, 20 minutes a couple times a day, kind of. Uh, that, that is just such a great place for me. Um, yeah. So good. Okay, so, Kriegspiel. It's a way of GMing, it's a way of playing, and it's at the heart of RPGs. Prussian Done. War games are amazing. Uh, the Volta Egla, I, I'm going to do a game of that as well. So if uh, if you don't want to do anything about Elder elder Gods and uh, Forgotten Mages and Ancient Beings, like, contact me about the Napoleonic one, because I do want to run that one. Uh, and then, of course, my Dreams in Darkness game, which does exist. It is a thing. Uh, it's slowly, slowly moving forward. Uh, but that's it for our 26th question. Uh, what is Creature Another question is Adam Blinkensop and Stage of, Sage of the Torah. You can find us on Twitter at AQ Podcast or by searching for another question on Google Plus or Facebook. Our website, anotherquestion.com, has all our old episodes plus links to all the games we mention in each episode and other bonus material. If you'd like to support us, you can send us a question, leave us a review on iTunes, or share this episode. Thanks.